0: Welcome to Capital Considerations, the podcast that takes complex ideas from the investment world and makes them accessible to everyone. I'm your host, Tony Roth, Chief Investment Officer of Wilmington Trust. Today, we're going to discuss the idea of productivity within the context of our 2020 outlook for the global economy and financial markets. I am so pleased to be joined today by my colleague, Megan Shu, who is the head of investment strategy at Wilmington Trust. Welcome, Megan.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you. So Megan, we started this work, I should say you started this work last summer into the fall. That's right. And now that we see that it's come together, well, let's start with the name. Tell us what the name of a capital market forecast is for 2020.
1: Yeah. Our capital markets forecast for 2020 is called Market Tug of War, the interplay of productivity, populism, and portfolios.
0: So we're going to focus on that idea of productivity today. And when we started this, we weren't sure where it was going to go. But now that we're here, we sort of think the year is going to play out in two acts. First, we're going to have probably some opportunity to make some money in the markets, and then after that, as we get closer to the Democratic nomination process and the convention, and then ultimately the election, there may be some weights on the market, some nervousness around what the election means and what policy may be afterwards. So. Let's talk about the positives to start. And let's talk about this idea of productivity. We're very focused on it. We're very obsessed with it. Why are we so obsessed with productivity? What is it? What does it mean?
1: That's a good question. So we are very focused on productivity. Um, The financial media, not so much, but we see productivity as one of the key underpinnings of long-term economic growth. So if you think about long-term economic growth, it's essentially growth of your labor force or population growth multiplied by the output, the growth in the output per per worker.
0: So this is like economics one on right? That's right.
1: And the first part of that, the growth of the labor force, is really based on demographics that are not looking so great in the developed world in the US, Europe, and Japan. The second part of that is where we have a little bit more optimism, and that's around productivity, which relates to automation and globalization, um, and essentially doing more with less.
0: Megan, when I think of productivity, I like to tell the story that relates to my own life. I live in the small town, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. And in Bryn Mawr, there's a Starbucks on a very on Lancaster Avenue. It's a very busy street corner. And so when I first moved here, I learned very quickly to always avoid that corner because there were accidents. So the Starbucks is a tiny little space, and they have only six parking spots. And so everybody would come in with their big SUVs, and they'd be fighting for parking spots to go in and order their coffees, their latte, frappa wappies et cetera. <laughs> and, and so... You know, I got to the to the to the market and I said, Wow, I'm gonna avoid this area. Well, what happened was, ironically, over time I realized that Starbucks had an app. And everyone else realized this at some point. So now we can order our coffees five to seven minutes before we arrive. Somehow we we intuitively know now when we're five minutes away from Starbucks in our busy lives, we order our coffees and we get there, and not only is the coffee ready. In many cases, they have a person that brings the coffee out to you and and smiles at you, which is always nice, and then you whiz away. And so, Not only is it good for me, because I get wired more easily now, which is the last thing that we all need, but nonetheless, um, it's great for Starbucks because this technology has enabled the company to be 300% more efficient. In other words, the revenue of that shop, I actually asked the manager, the revenue has gone up by 300% in the 18 months since the app came out. So it's really pretty remarkable what technology can do in the right context.
1: Exactly. Producing more with the same number of workers. That's the definition of productivity.
0: So tell us, what is the heart of the matter here? We think that the economy is doing well because of productivity?
1: Yes. So we think productivity is one of the key drivers of our more optimistic economic outlook going forward. Um, Productivity as measured is actually quite low. We'll talk about that. I think in a a subsequent podcast, we expect that productivity is actually higher than what's reported and moving higher. Uh, And this is an important reason why we do have a more optimistic outlook for US GDP growth of about a percent and a half um, this year. And I think where, where the rubber meets the road is that productivity is really about, as I said earlier, doing more with less. So higher economic output without generating the inflation. And this is a recipe for an elongated economic cycle.
0: And I know that's one of the key ideas is the inflation. Because we have low inflation, we have low interest rates. I don't think we've ever had an economic cycle before. We were so late in an economic cycle and we had a Fed, which was actually significantly accommodative, below what they call their neutral rate. So they're actually continuing to put the foot on the accelerator and they're not worried about inflation.
1: Globally, central banks are very supportive right now, which is one of the key reasons why we are overweight equities in our portfolios.
0: Okay, so we've got this very rosy story here and... Productivity is a big contributor to it, but I know that it's a double edged sword. So there's a, 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 a sort of a, a, an ugly underbelly to productivity. Um, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so productivity um, is really stemming from two things globalization. Uh, and supply chains that have just become much more efficient and diversified, as well as automation. So while that is improving productivity, making companies um, more efficient, improving the bottom line and corporate profits for companies, it's also having the effect of uh, displacing workers, increasing income inequality, and all of these things are leading to um, populist sentiment, essentially disenchantment with the establishment, if you will. And policies that we're seeing in the lead up to the 2020 election that have some populist tinges to them, whether it's on the left, and you're talking about potentially tax increases, or on the right, where you're talking about tariffs um, and some trade wars with our with our trade partners, China and others.
0: Yeah, and I think in the report, we actually call that the irony of productivity, because on the one hand, productivity is creating this great tailwind to the economy, and it's creating more efficiency, and that's all wonderful. But on the other hand, it's been very disruptive to workers. and. The share in GDP of income on the part of workers is as low as it's been in decades. And so it's created wealth inequality and it's created um, income inequality. And you put all that together and you have some unhappy people um, on both sides of the political spectrum. So, okay. So when you put it all together, what's the outcome?
1: Yeah, that's where the tug of war comes into play. And we do see uh, productivity winning out, if you will, in the first half of the year, where economic growth is expected to, perhaps in the US, decelerate a little bit from last year, but still remain well in expansion territory. Um, But as we get closer to the election, we think some of the more populist-related risks Some of the policies that are out there being proposed are probably going to create some jitters, maybe some higher volatility in the market. Um, And at that point, we could at least hit the pause button, if not uh, see some more choppiness in financial markets in the second half of the year.
0: Right. And in terms of the election itself, one of the things that we're concerned about, of course, is after you have the election, you're going to have an administration that has a period of time before they have to worry about the next election, and they'll really be able to pursue the policies that resonate with their base. And so if that's on the one hand, a continuation of the current administration, we could see a second round of tariffs, which could, re- which could really be a headwind to not only the US economy, but the global economy. The, the Trump administration is already talking about Europe being in the crosshairs, the UK, um, apparently the UK even today announced that Huawei is going to uh, participate in their 5G and the Trump administration is unhappy about that. So there's a lot of saber rattling around populism there. And then on the other side of the continuum, if we have a Democratic administration, we could have higher taxes. And everybody knows higher taxes um, typically slows down the economy.
1: Yeah, and it's as you're pointing out, it's, there's a lot of risks regardless of who ends up in the White House in 2020. And so part of the way we think about it is looking at those individual policies, where are the risks in our portfolio, and essentially shoring up some of those holes to try to um, mitigate what could be the potential outcome while it's still far too early to tell what that outcome might be.
0: So tell us real quickly, how are we positioned today?
1: Yes. So that first half optimism is resulting in an overweight inequities in our portfolios. Um, and we are actually neutral to US large cap, which has had in a phenomenal run, um, but valuations are looking a little toppy. And instead we are overweight US small cap, where we uh, see some potential uh, catch up to US large cap equities, partially because of the, um, what we expect is in terms of an re-acceleration of global economic activity and a receding of trade tensions. And international developed is another area where we are overweight right now. Again, because we expect those more export-oriented economies to benefit from receding trade tensions and a pickup in global economic activity. U.S. small cap and international developed also should be, uh, I should note, do have much more attractive valuations than some other areas of the market.
0: Terrific. So let me just summarize real quickly what I think are the three key takeaways for our audience today. One is that due to productivity, we're not going to have a recession this year. We think that the economy continues to do well, continues to expand. Number two, we think the first half of the year in the markets is likely to be better than the second half of the year. And that's because we think that it's too early for the markets to price in election risk and policy risk following the election And regardless of whether we have a Democratic or Republican outcome in the fall, there are going to be some significant policy risks to economic activity. And the market will start to see that as we get closer to the election. And then last, we think that as we move into next year, we think the probability of a recession starts to move up. And we start to need to think about that definitely before the end of this year as well. So the last thing I want to talk about real quickly before we we end is we always worry about what we think of the black swan or the exogenous event. And we've had a couple this year already. We've had Iran and we've had the coronavirus. So Megan, when you think specifically about the coronavirus, because we think Iran is pretty much abated for the time being, how do you think that's gonna play out? And what impact might that have on on the story that we've just told?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, um, and a lot of the questions that we have about the coronavirus still remain to be answered. Um, we're still learning every day. We're learning more about the number of cases, the mortality rate, how it's spreading. Uh, it does look at this time like it is you know, perhaps lower mortality rate, but spreading perhaps more quickly because of uh, a longer period where you're not showing symptoms, but perhaps still contagious. Um, On the whole, we see these events historically, as we look back, we have very few to look at, but historically they have had an impact uh, more on regional economic activity. So we could see some slowing in the first quarter or second quarter of this year uh, in China and maybe the surrounding Asian economies, probably not as much um, in other developed parts of the world, Um, but it's a risk that we're watching um, and we are not altering portfolios at this time due to the coronavirus risk. But it is something that, again, we have to keep our um, finger on the pulse of what's happening there because it can have uh, an economic impact, particularly in in China or the region.
0: Before we say goodbye, I want to invite our audience to join for our second podcast, which will feature our chief economist, Luke Tilley. And Luke and I will discuss productivity in more depth. Specifically, we're going to talk about what we call the paradox of productivity. And the paradox of productivity is essentially the idea that we see our lives changed every day. Our reality is different all around us as a result of technology. But we don't see it in the numbers. Economists aren't seeing productivity show up in the numbers. So we're going to talk to Luke about why that is, and he's going to hopefully explain it to us. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I encourage you to visit WilmingtonTrust.com for a roundup of our investment and planning content. You can subscribe to Capital Considerations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast channel to ensure you get updates on future episodes. Thank you again for listening.
2: This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the sale of any financial product or service or recommendation or determination that any investment strategy is suitable for a specific investor. Investors should seek financial advice regarding the suitability of any investment strategy based on the investor's objectives, financial situation, and particular needs. The information on Wilmington Trust's capital considerations with Tony Roth has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. The opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the judgment of Wilmington Trust as of the date of this podcast and are subject to change without notice. Wilmington Trust is not authorized to and does not provide legal or tax advice. Our advice and recommendations provided to you is illustrative only and subject to the opinions and advice of your own attorney, tax advisor, or other professional advisor. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against a loss. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. Past performance cannot guarantee future results. Investing involves a risk and you may incur a profit or a loss. Any reference to company names mentioned in the podcast should not be constructed as investment advice or investment recommendations of those companies. Facts and views presented in this report have not been reviewed by and may not reflect information known to professionals in other business areas of Wilmington Trust or MT Bank, and may provide to seek to provide financial services to entities referred to in this report. MT Bank and Wilmington Trust have established information barriers between their various business groups. As a result, MT Bank and Wilmington Trust do not disclose certain client relationships or compensation received from such entities in their reports. Investment products are not insured by the FDIC or any other governmental agency, are not deposits of or other obligations of or guaranteed by Wilmington Trust, M&T Bank, or any other bank or entity, and are subject to risk, including a possible loss of the principal amount invested. Wilmington Trust is a registered service mark used in connection with various fiduciary and non-fiduciary services offered by certain subsidiaries of MNT Bank Corporation, including, but not limited to, Manufacturers and Traders Trust Company, M&T Bank, Wilmington Trust Company, WTC, operating in Delaware only, Wilmington Trust NA, WTNA. Wilmington Trust Investment Advisors, Inc., WTIA, Wilmington Funds Management Corporation, WFMC, and Wilmington Trust Investment Management, LLC, WTIM. Such services include trustee, custodial agency, investment management, and other services. International corporate and institutional services are offered through m Bank Corporation's international subsidiaries. Loans, credit cards, retail, and business deposits, and other business and personal banking services and products are offered by m Bank Member FDIC. 2021, MT Bank Corporation and its subsidiaries, all rights reserved.